Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to another episode of the Daily Stoke Podcast. The unexpected, strange, surreal perk of writing these books about ancient philosophy has been their resonance in professional athletics. Not something I expected, not something I anticipated, but as a sports fan, as uh, as a you know amateur. Uh, endurance athlete myself. It's just been a total joy. And I think the Stoics would have appreciated that. And Marcus Aurelius uh, clearly was familiar with boxing and wrestling, Epictetus as well. Uh, Chrysippus was a runner. Cleanthes was himself a boxer. So I think uh, the, the sports world and the Stoic world was in the ancient world much more intertwined than we would associate philosophy and physical activity today. And it's just been so awesome to see athletes with this sort of philosophical practice. But I also just love talking to people who are best in the world at what they do, how they think about craft, how they think about ambition, how they think about balance, how they think about winning and losing. These are just things I love talking about. Talked to a lot of athletes this year and last year. And so in today's compilation interview, we've got some awesome interviews. We're going to be talking... Uh, to Chris Bosch, two-time NBA champion, 11-time All-Star Olympic gold medalist on the pursuit of greatness. We're talking about Los Angeles Rams GM, uh, Les Snead, about keeping the main thing the main thing. 
We're going to be talking to Major League Baseball pitcher Scott Oberg on overcoming adversity, uh, which he has had to experience in a very difficult career uh, that's, that's been ravaged by injuries as of late. We're going to talk to swimming coach Bob Bowman, uh, the guy behind Michael Phelps, on balancing stillness and excellence. And then I was also lucky enough to talk to USA Olympic gold medalist Dominique Dawes. Finally, we have NASCAR champion Brad Keselowski on reaching your maximum potential. And here is my interview with Chris Bosch. If you haven't read the book that he and I collaborated on, Letters to a Young Athlete, you can click that in the links below. To me, the definition of stoicism is that you don't control what happens, you control how you respond. Yeah. And that's what you have to do as an athlete. That's what you have to do as a parent. That's what you had, we had to do the last year in the pandemic, which is like, how do I figure out how to make the best of it? Because you can't quit. Uh, quitting is not an option. I, 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 that's one of the th th sayings I like to say is that, you know, failure is not trying. Yes. Me. You know, not even trying, just saying, ah, you know, whatever excuse um, you give yourself not to, not to try. You, Every anything you go after, you're gonna take some lumps. You're gonna take some punches. You're gonna get knocked down. You know, and um, I, I didn't understand that at least for me until, you know, losing in Dallas in 2011, which was crazy. It's ten years ago almost to wow. the date, and um, you, you know, I watch Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant every every year. They make it to the finals all the time, and they win. Yeah, you know, so when you get to a point where you know, you think you have some immunity because of whatever accolades you've racked up in the past or because you're a professional basketball player on this level. When we lost, it, it really clicked in for me and just said, wow, okay. Because sure, I was dealing thing with things off the court as a person. You feel that's not fair. Right. And then all these other things are happening and that's not fair. At least we could win right? This dumb championship. Then we lose it. <laughs> and it's like, ah! How devastating is that? It's, it's like a loss in the family. You know, it's like, um, it's, it's, a, it's a sudden loss, you know? Um, and, and especially when you put yourself, you put yourself in a state of mind of visual, visualizing yourself doing it for months and months and months, you know? And then for me, it was especially tough. It's my hometown team. We're playing the Mavericks. I'm watching, I'm watching my ex-classmates wear Mavericks jerseys and shirts. They didn't watch that stuff. They didn't, yeah. we, nobody wore Mavericks stuff back in the day. Now everybody's, right. you know, rocking the championship gear. It was just, you know, it was devastating. But it, ma it made me realize how I understood right away of, you know, Jason Kidd, Dirk Nowitzki, Jason Terry. Those guys went through pain losing back in 2006. Jason Kidd back in 2000. Three and again in 2004, you know, it's just or in 2001, 2002. But imagine know? how devastated Jason Terry would have been because he got that tattoo, remember? He yeah. got the in advance. <laughs> hey, man, hey, but you know, and I learned something from that too. I remember that because I remember looking at it like, oh, who do these guys think they are? Hey, man, you got to get it tatted on you sometimes. It's yeah. like failure is not an option. And, and, and understanding that, I understood after pretty much just coming up short and kind of having that pie in the face moment and, and, you know, knowing that I have to rebuild from that and, and, you know, hopefully, hopefully get back to that level the next year, but accept, 
you know, whatever consequence comes. Yeah. I was talking to, uh, to Manu Ginobili and he was telling me like the pivotal moment for him was going up for that rebound with you. He said, <laughs> he, he told me, uh, that he should have fouled you is what he said. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, but he was saying, you know, so he goes up for that, you know, they end up losing the series and, and he comes home and he's like, I've never been more unhappy in my life. They and, had never lost. They had never lost. Yeah. Never lost. And, and, and what he was saying though, is what struck him was he was like, I'm living my dream. I'm one of the best people in the world at what I do. Mm. I gave my absolute best. If I'm not having fun, enjoying myself while I'm doing it, like I'm going to regret it forever. So did you come out of losing with a better appreciation mm. for the game and for when, like, cause you know, you quote Kipling in the book, mm. you know, like, uh, uh, to, 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 to treat winning and losing as, as the right. same imposters, the you, know, you know, can, can, <laughs> were you able to come out of that a little bit closer after the loss? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You, um, I hate the the term losing Bill's character, but it kind of does. You just don't want to make it a habit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just don't yeah. want to make it a habit, but having those. Yeah. Show me a, the, show me a, a, a good loser and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so just like in, in that context, you think about the things that you could have done better. You think about, Maybe that day off where you're like, ah, let me just kind of coast today or that that moment, even if it was just for a minute that you kind of lost focus in 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 what you do. And that time where you say, man, I should have been having a little more. I should have been enjoying myself a little more because we lost anyway. You yeah. know, right. at least could have had a good time. You sure. know, there's a fine balance in both. And and I think for me, my like my personal journey with that. <clears throat> was just understanding that it could happen to you, um, understanding that, you know, just because of the level you're at doesn't make you impervious to these things. You're, you're, you're human. Yeah. You're going to have to go through this process. And sometimes you're just going to get knocked, going to get beat up. You yeah. Know, what, what are you going to, like you say, what are you going to, how are you going to react? How are you going to be the one to uh, you know, uh, a challenge the way that you think in getting better after this. Are you going to get better or are you just going to kind of sit around and complain? Because after a while, you know, that's only going to get you so far eventually, um, which which for most of us was right away. But, like, you know, I got back on the horse and, and, and you know, got to a point to say, man, I'm not going to let it beat me next time. Because there's, there's some ego in it too, right? There's this quote I love. It, it's – um the first sign of an impending nervous collapse is the belief that your work is terribly, terribly important. <laughs> and it's like, what you do is important. I like, I care so much about my books, but then, you know, like one of the things that's great about having kids is like, they don't care at all. You know, like it's, it's nothing to them. It's a book. You might as well be an insurance salesman, yeah. you know, and, <laughs> and it, it helps put it in perspective, which is that it's important and excellence is important. And as you said, you don't want to make losing a habit at the same time if you think that it's a matter of life and death, it's probably actually a bad strategy over the long term. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to like fight or flight is there for a reason, right? Yeah. You want to fight or flight. If you're having those feelings and you're not fighting or flighting, I don't understand, you know, and it's, especially if we are putting, sometimes you can't help it. Yeah. You're going to have your reaction. 
But if you're putting in, like you say, those life or death situations, I've known people, and I've done that for myself as well. Yeah. It's life or death. This game is, you know, sometimes you use it to kind of psych yourself out. But, yeah, yeah after a while, you've got to be loose. Yeah. You know, you have to you have to have a flow to things. You have to – you just can't be rigid. You know, that was one of the things I learned playing the game too, um, you know, in, in, in losing that series against Dallas – we were just so uptight. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, man. Just too tight. Nothing was loose. You know, we weren't trusting the work that we had put in up until that point. And we were just kind of beside ourselves a little bit and not concentrating on playing. We were concentrating on mistakes or making it life or death or saying, oh, my God, we're, we lost a game. Yeah. Okay, we got to win the next one then. <laughs> Golf is a, a good metaphor, I think, in that, you know, like the harder you try – the worse you are at it. Like you still have to be good. You, you still have to train, you know, you still have to know your fundamentals, but like in Buddhism, they talk about willful will. Mm -hmm. You have too much willful will. If you're trying to force it too much, that's when you, yeah. And, and, and you, you mentioned sort of tight, loose, like that's what a trainer wants you to be. They want you to be loose. If you're tight, that's when you hurt yeah, yourself. For sure. That's when you hurt yourself. That's when you start pulling stuff and, and, <clears throat> you know, in plan for different coaches, you know, the greater coaches, they, they emphasize being loose, you know, yeah. as a team, you know, um, <clears throat> you might do something um, instead of practice today, let's watch a movie. Yeah. You know, let's watch He Got Game or something like that, you know, and, and let's discuss it or let's do things to make sure that we're loose, we're good. Let's not be in this tension of life or death for the whole time because, you know, we're human beings. We pick up on those things pretty good. And if it's and if it's like that collectively as a group, if everybody's tight, then you know it's it's really not going to work. <laughs> I, I think that's like, for instance, the unfair advantage that Tom Brady has. Right? He's been there so many yeah. times. He can be like when and when you watch him when he's up against you know like a, a Jared Goff, mm. who's the first time he's been in the Super yeah. Bowl. Like by definition, who's looser? The guy who's been there like yeah. a dozen times. <laughs> you know, the guy who's 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 not only been in the Super Bowl, but been down by 25 points in the 100%. Super Bowl, you can be chill because you're like, and, and we we, you and I have talked about this where it's like the difference between ego and confidence. Confidence is loose. Ego is mm -hmm. like, my identity's riding on this. Right. Everything can, right. but confidence is like, I've been here before. Yeah, hey, I've been this. here before. Remember, remember that time we discussed if we're down 25 at halftime? <laughs> yeah. This now is the time to implement those things. Good thing that we've talked about this because these are the packages we need to run. Yes. And and I mean, even if um in Jared Goff's situation, being a young quarterback, getting to the Super Bowl, you know, golf, Tom Brady, oh my goodness, you can get into all yeah. that stuff. I found that game fascinating because Tom knew, like, okay, I'm just, we're just gonna grind these guys yeah. into the ground. We're yeah. gonna make it close because I know they're a little tight. Yeah. If 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 it's a third and four and they're down three, they're gonna feel a little bit yes. you know different because they're used to their offense running at a certain level. Right. And if it's not running at that level, they're gonna you know they're gonna feel it a little bit. So you know it's it's just kind of you got to train, man. You have to you have to identify what those things that you know first what you want to do and then work backwards from there and say okay hey I want to be a really good basketball player or we want to win a championship as this team all right cool these are the things that we need to do we've got to communicate good 
We've got to make sure we're practicing and putting the work in every day. And we have to make sure that we're together and, and, and we know our stuff. So when it hits the fan, because it will, yeah. when, you know, we, we don't, we stay together, you know, and make sure we're, you know, doing the things that we always practice. And here's me talking to Los Angeles Rams GM Les Sneed. So when I when I came out and talked to you guys, I guess it was two years ago now or three, I forget. But one of the one of the things you had showed me that was sort of in the Rams cultural values was uh, keep the main thing the main thing. What it, what does that mean, and and how do you guys sort of actually apply that? Uh, so really simply, I think what I would say, let's call it the, let's call it one, the one variable that are the first variable is, all right, we have, we have an organization made up of a lot of different people. And within that, each one of, right, these individuals has an expertise and, and some of those individuals are leading other experts in, in kind of their realm or, or that group's expertise and, and some of the some of the people in those groups are, are trying to become experts and may have other roles that help the experts but so number one would be uh the first variable was if we all come into the building and try to help the rams improve at football at whatever your job description is sure uh spend our energy there right so what that leads to what we're hoping is right. Some version of, of some compound interests, uh, a Jim Collins flywheel effect, a, a snowball effect where, right. We just keep rolling the, the snow and the ball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's, it's because we're focused on that snowball. Right. So that's number one. The other two is I, I think it, it can cut down on, on some of the, the people interaction, collaboration, drama, Right. In terms of that, I do that. I think hinders production is, OK, sure. wait a minute. That's that's not the main thing. Right. Whether whether, uh, you know, one person likes this color and the other person likes that color. One person voted for this politician, the other that that's OK. That's not the main thing here. Let's get back to making rounds football better. So that that's probably the. And I can go this, and you're gonna you're gonna ask a question in the entertainment business, uh, because our product is is really uh, we're creating it for the public. Yeah. And the neat thing is what keeps uh, it's called entertainment uh, rolling and professional sports rolling is 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 maybe the the drama that takes place in between the games. Sure. And there is an element right of. Uh, there's going to be a lot of noise on the outside. Sure. Right? Uh, critics, what have you, ideas, and, and but let's not. So, that's not the main thing. That the main thing is to create a product so that uh, our fans can discuss it, whether they thumbs up it or thumbs down it. That's we have to stay focused on the main thing, and the main thing is winning. Make Rams football. Well, it's really, I think. It's not necessarily winning. That would be the result. I think what we can control is dominating our role and trying to make Rams football better. 
Uh, and that's a little bit easier to control. It's a little bit easier to build a task list than, hey, let's go win a game. What we're hoping, Ryan, is all of that combines that on Sunday uh, when when the clock, you know, runs out and there's zero zero zeros on the on the clock you know we have more points than the other team but so does it is it like that the the organization has the main thing of like get better at football and then does each subsequent person have their own main thing like the gm has a main thing the coach has a main thing the running back has a main thing the janitor has a main thing and that's sort of where the the belichick idea of like just do your job comes in do your job be clear and concise on, on what that job is, right? And, and stealing a little bit from from James Clear and, and some of his habit journal stuff, right? The the and he talks about the 80-20 rule, right? It, yeah. It, it's making sure everyone in the building, right, has those one to two to three, four things that they can dominate, that they actually can manage enough time and intensely focus on that and dominate. And again, that gets back to your first question now, right? Is is uh, right. Everyone has a specific role. They know that role. They understand that role. Uh, that should allow them to not have to be at the office at 4 a.m. And, and, and leave at 11. And, and, it, and it can also uh, help individuals determine, wait a minute, this isn't a role that truly fulfills me. So maybe I better go look somewhere else. Right. It must be weird for the GM because you have so much control, but then you also have so little control. Like you can assemble the players, you can negotiate their contracts, you can set up incentives, but at the end of the day, like you can't actually throw or catch the football for them and you can't decide what plays get called. So is that is that a challenge too? Like how do you how does each person in the organization stay in their lane? That is that is the humbling part of sports probably a humbling part of a lot of life but it, it, it is it is maybe the more fulfilling part of sports is right where there is there is a a collection of humans and we're just we're collaborating to compete right we're collaborating not necessarily to be the best gm or be the best offensive line coach or be the best athletic trainer or be the best team chaplain, or be the best team psychologist. We're all collectively collaborating for the Rams to be greater, and, and that whole Rams is, is greater than all of, of us. So both humbling and frustrating, and, uh, fulfilling. Yeah, humbling, frustrating, and fulfilling at the same time. Yeah, because not all. I, hey, I'm Ryan, sure. can I check out and go close the door real quick? Of course. Can you hear the? Can you hear the construction? A little bit. Much better. Yeah, one of those things you can't control, right? We have training camp at in Irvine, and our hotel is going uh, under full-blown construction. But during COVID, our times it is it is right. The uh, the obstacle is the way, or the rose of the thorn is. There's only us really at this hotel. Oh, so nice. We're right. not sharing it. I remember when. Um, when I wrote Ego is the Enemy, there was this exchange between John Snyder and Pete Carroll. Someone someone was asking them, they said, you know, how have you guys worked together for so long? Most GMs and coaches are not 
don't have long-term collaborative relationships. It tends to be short-term or collaborative or, or worse. They hate each other. And John Snyder said something like, ego is the enemy, meaning that the two of them were able to collaborate because they took ego out of it. Is How, how does that relationship work, not just between you and Sean, but, but how does it work generally? Because I imagine there is some jockeying for power and control, but the only way you're both going to be successful is if you're able to collaborate with each other. Yes. And going back to the main thing and the main thing, main thing, keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, if, if your main thing as a general manager, or head coach is to right gain more power control within your organization, that, that doesn't necessarily help you on Sundays. Sure. Now, maybe the reason one of the two is trying because they actually think that, but the energy spent trying to gain that extra power control probably somewhere along the way dilutes what they're really experts at. And then going back to that, right, both a general manager, head coach, and anyone in this building, right, we, we probably have different superpowers, different expertises, and there's an element, right, where you, where you definitely have to respect and then trust that the other can do, you know, and be useful and, and dominate their responsibility. So I think that is is very key. And, and that's what really works between Sean and myself is he really wants to coach football. And I would not be any good at coaching football. Uh, and he doesn't want to do my job. Right. He might be good at my job, but he doesn't want to do it and i think we both right that allowing each other to do their job that allows us to really focus on what we're experts at and at the end of the day that truly helps when we when we do sit down to solve problems overcome obstacles uh collectively collaboratively right to figure out the best solution or the or the or the, or the better innovation and things like that. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, exhausting, or exhilarating, but one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you'll gain insights and uncover truths you can only find in therapy. If you want some personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support, you can sign up right now for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredible incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist, and you do it from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And to celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast 80 bucks off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month with code SPACE80. 80 and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic code space 80. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals 
that are right for the job. In fact, we were just hiring for Daily Stoic and we found our new podcast editor on LinkedIn Jobs because LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Over 2.5 small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring like we do, as I was just saying, because LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, sometimes even faster than that. You can hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And here's me talking to Major League Baseball pitcher Scott Oberg. I find when I'm going through crap or I'm really sort of uh, difficult, I'm consumed with my own thoughts or anxiety or frustrations or troubles. When, when you focus on somebody else, not only does do you forget about your problems for a while, but you may end up opening up a new door or opportunity or way of thinking about your own problems that does in fact help you. Yeah, I think so. I think in, in, you know, in a roundabout way, I think it does, you know, kind of ease the suffering a little bit. And, you know, I think the best, you know, I've heard this before too, you know, the best way to, you know, to make sure that you understand certain material or certain, you know, principles or foundations or whatever it may be is to be able to articulate it to somebody else so that they can understand what, what it is that you're talking about. And I, you know, find myself, you know, I've been in the past, I've always been intentional about trying to teach even younger kids, you know, give pitching lessons or whatnot. And, and hearing myself say the things that I believe in kind of reinforces why I believe them or why I think that they're important. Yes, that's right. Well, Seneca says, you know, we learn as we teach, which I think is true. But I also mm-hmm. find, you know, when I was writing The Obstacles Away, I, I looked at this set of studies about uh, elite athletes. I think they were in Canada and they were talking about post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic uh, injury or, or, or uh, disorder, right? And they were saying that oftentimes the athlete may come back from the injury weaker in some way because they blew out their knee or they they don't have quite the same mobility or whatever it is they put on weight but they're better because they've spent that time studying the game they understand you know their role in the game they appreciate their teammates more maybe they're more connected to like i got to imagine let's say you come back at 100% mm-hmm. in a year uh, you know next season not only did you help your teammates through uh, you know you contributed to your teammates but the team will be, you will be coming back to a stronger team where the players are more connected with each other because of this period. And so, again, that's the idea of the obstacle being the way. Sure. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And I think, you know, you just said like in a very, to me, like, you know, when you mentioned appreciation, you know, I think that that's one of the things that when the game or, you know, when life kind of puts you on the sidelines for a little bit, you know, the things that you were really involved in, the things that you really enjoy doing, you know, when you can't do them anymore, you, you kind of have that, that, that greater appreciation because now you can see it 
you know, from a bird's eye view or from the sidelines or, you know, whatever metaphor you want to apply to it. But, you know, you really get that deep appreciation for, you know, how much you enjoy it, how much sure. you see other people being success, successful at it. And, you know, I think that there's like an inner drive too to be, you know, especially at times where I've had to go through some sort of a rehab process, whether it was with, you know, surgeries or, you know, whatever else is, you know, you have the game taken away from you for, for a small period of time. And, you know, I'm watching it on TV or I'm watching in the dugout or, or what have you. And it, it motivates me to want to get back out there. So the things that I'm going to do with the training staff or physical therapists or, what, or whatever it may be, you know, like you said, there might be some physical atrophy in the muscles, but, you know, mentally I might be stronger. I might be better because I know I've gone through the process and I've gone through all the steps to get back to ultimately where I want to get to. And I think that's, that's where that appreciation comes in. And that's where it becomes maybe a little bit more digestible to overcome those obstacles on a, on a daily basis when, you know, like we were saying earlier, you know, you, you just don't, sometimes you just don't feel like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was, you mentioned earlier the idea of pitchers and thrower or pitchers versus throwers. And I was thinking about this when I was writing stillness. Um, my book stillness is the key, which is probably the book I talk about baseball the most. I was talking about this idea that, and I, I didn't come up with it, but it's a pretty well-established fact, as you all know, as you know, that, that like mm -hmm. sort of hitting, hitting a baseball is the single hardest act in professional sports, right? But part of the reason it's so hard is because people like you are on the other side, right? You're, you're trying to make it as hard as possible. So I'm interested in this idea. You were saying that, you know, perhaps as you're physically declining in one sense, you're also getting more strategic, more clever, better able to disguise your pitches, better able to, you know, get in the head of the batter. Is that sort of how you've seen your career arc? Not just as a human being who spent time in the league, but also as you've been battling these sort of physical obstacles that they've forced you to get better mentally? Damn it. You dropped off for a sec, but did you hear me? Uh, I heard up until a couple of seconds ago, you were just starting to get into, um, I'll you know, go again. Being I'll go on again. The mound and, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so in stillness is the key. I was, I probably my book, I talked the most about baseball, but I was referencing this idea, which I'm sure you've heard a million times that hitting a, hitting a pitch in baseball is the hardest act in professional sports. But the reason it's hard is because guys like you are on the other side, right? You're trying to make it hard. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, you're talking about pitchers versus throwers. Have you seen your arc as you've gone on, as you've gotten older, dealt with these physical things that you've had to get more strategic, more clever, you know, play the psychological game as a, as a pitcher? Is, is that sort of how you've seen yourself developing? Yeah, without a doubt. Um, you know, it's even, even just on the baseball side, outside of the medical, um, you know, there, it's been a, its own transition, its own transformation where, you know, younger in my career, you know, I kind of, I, I sped through the minor leagues a little bit quicker than what is the norm, I, I guess. Um, I think I was up there within three years of being drafted. 
especially for, for somebody that wasn't a very particularly high draft pick. Um, it kind of breaks the norm a little bit. And so I got up there and I was throwing very hard, but my command wasn't great. My off-speed pitches, you know, they had great movement to it, but they weren't, they weren't very effective because they weren't landing in the spots that they needed to get to. And the first four years of my career, I was, I was bouncing back and forth between AAA and the big league level because just because I, I wasn't throwing enough strikes, I was walking too many batters. You know, the scouting report was, hey, you know, this guy's probably going to throw four balls before he throws three strikes, so wait him out a little bit. And then the times where I would fall behind an account, now I have to be back in the zone, and that's where, that's where the damage would get done. I'd give up a lot of doubles, a lot of home runs. You know, and you go through those growing pains as an athlete on the field. Um, and that was really like the first major time, um, extended period of time where I really failed athletically. Um, so that's kind of almost like its own unique shock to the system, you know, because I think as athletes, especially guys that get to the levels they get to, you know, more times than not, they're, they're kind of, they're not really as challenged as, as much as they probably could be until they get to the top level. Um, and at that point, you know, sometimes you have to take a look, take a, take a look at the mirror and, and maybe change some things around. So I ended up, dropping some pitches um that had made me successful over the years you know i i had been a a, a two seam fastball and a curveball type of pitcher when i when i got up to the big leagues and then what ended up making me successful was a four seam fastball and a slider so it was almost as if you know i'm two different pitchers i mean even the times where i would watch video for myself uh, on myself um i would almost disregard my first couple of years because you know, it's like watching a completely different person, a completely different pitcher. I don't, you know, I'm not going to be able to learn anything from that pitcher, at least on within the game itself, from a standpoint like that, where, you know, if I'm trying to pick something up or, you know, how, how should I attack certain hitters? You know, the person that I was, the pitcher that I was in 20, 2018, 2019 was vastly different from the pitcher I was in 2015, 2016, where, I was throwing hard, but I, I I had no clue where it was going. I was a I was a thrower, so to speak, and you know I had to learn how to be a pitcher in in AAA. And the last time that I got I got sent back down was in 2018. You know I, I had come off a playoff experience in 2017. I thought I had kind of righted the ship a little bit, and I opened up the season in April, and I, I <laughs> it was not very good. So I had to go back down to Albuquerque and readjust some things but when i came back up i had made all of the right adjustments i had really put all of my focus into what it was that i was trying to do because i knew i i i had you know the stuff i had the movement of the pitches i had you know some elite velocity on my fastball and at that point it was just a matter of really tightening everything up narrowing the focus getting to a point where I can be consistent with the locations of my pitches. And I think you see, I think the difference between the pitchers and the throwers are that the pitchers can really command the fastball on both sides of the plate pretty much whenever they want to. And, you know, we were talking about Latroy Hawkins earlier. And I mean, one of the first things I ever asked him was, I said, Hawk, what was, you know, what's made you successful? Why, you know, what is it about you? that has been able to play 18, 19, 20 years 
at the major league level, not just professional baseball. Right. And he's like, one, he's like, you gotta, he's like, your body's a race car and you gotta fuel it like one. And number two, he's like, he took a home plate and he took both of his hands and he just kind of went back and forth on the corners. And he's like, you gotta live on the corners in this league. What does that mean? He's like, basically, you got to put your fastball on both sides of the plate. You got to be able to throw in the corners. He's like, you can't catch too much of the plate. Interesting. So he was really able to just go in and out, left on both sides of the plate, lefties and righties, put put his fastball really where he wanted to. And it took a little bit of time to figure that out and, and to get that. But once it did, it clicked. And, you know, I went from a guy that was probably, you know, one of the worst relievers in the league to now I'm... I'm right up there with, with some of the best relievers in the league. And to me, it was just, you know, really establishing the fastball command and learning how to pitch. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that have enthralled you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers. My wife and I have both been raving about this book, Furious Hours. Whether it's kids' books, my books, thrillers, history books, the Stoics, it doesn't matter. You can find whatever you're looking for on Audible. My belief is that books are important and amazing. I'm little bias, of course, as an author. And whatever gets them into your brain, I'm all for. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. Visit audible.com slash dailystoic or text dailystoic to 500-500. That's audible.com slash dailystoic or text dailystoic to 500-500. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. I talk about that in Growth Hacker Marketing. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com stoic. That's netsuite.com stoic. Here's me talking to Bob Bowman. Well, in a way that this that requires, like, clearly you don't, you're not Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky or, or uh, Simone Manuel without an incredible amount of self-discipline or yes. Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or whomever. But it's almost as if the highest level of self-discipline is how do you discipline your self-discipline, right? Like, yeah. how do you say, just because this is the direction, trajectory we're going, doesn't mean we're going to continue. We're actually going to stop. We're going to scale back. We're going to pivot slightly. We're going to do this intentionally as opposed to just can, you know, letting the momentum and the expectations of everyone else determine what and how we do things. Exactly. And after we, we did get to that point, it just took two years. Right. Um, and by the time we did that, that affected his London performances for sure. Although I thought he did a credible job based on kind of how he had prepared. Um, but what I decided, I'll tell you how I got to that, how it, we got out of it was um, I was at a breaking point too. Like, you know, Michael was doing things like not coming to practice for two weeks, right? Yeah. <laughs> he never missed a practice in 12 years, right? You know, yeah. it was like, okay. Um, and that was sort of our hallmark, right? We're here, we're invested, we're doing all this stuff nobody else is doing, and that's what makes us great. 
So instead of kind of, you know, understanding what he was going through, I just doubled down on the, you know, you're throwing your career away. You're letting everybody, you know, I did everything you could do that was stupid in that part. And finally, our agent, Peter Carlisle, who's such a (laughs) tremendous uh, resource for both of us. I was talking with him about it. I was frustrated. Michael wasn't coming to practice and he wasn't going to be able to do this. And this meet was coming up and we needed to do this, but we didn't do it. So it was might as well just not even go and all this kind of stuff. And he said two things. He's like, I'm going to give you a book, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. And he sent it to me. And I, I would suggest that in this circumstance, how about... We just let everything go, except for when Michael comes into practice, you give him the best practice you can give him on that day and leave it at that. You know, be present, right? Yeah. Just focus on the present, not what didn't happen, not what's going to happen. And when I started doing that, the practices weren't too bad. And he kept coming back. So that's kind of how we got out of it. But it just, and, and of course, I read The Power Now, I probably read it seven or eight times now. And that really changed my outlook on how to deal with a lot of things, not only just in swimming, but in my life. And I just think that was a very powerful learning thing for both of us. And Michael's read that book a couple of times now. and We both sort of rely on it. Well, that strikes me as a very sort of Phil Jackson approach of like this sort of jujitsu Zen approach to like, don't try to force it. You're not going to get this from a top-down way. How do you sort of strip things down to their essence? Think about what this specific person needs in this specific instance, and that usually, yeah, letting go and being present gets you there better than force or, as they say, sort of willful will. Exactly. And, you know, I think when I started coaching, just because of the coaches that coached me and kind of the environment of sports when I was, you know, in the 80s, when I was kind of really Mm -hmm. doing it, I got into it. And it's the classic example of when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes. And you get very good results with that quickly, right? But what you find is over time, you just... Oh, you just create so many more problems than you solve by doing that. And and you kind of hope that you'll get the result at the end of the season and everybody's kind of bought in again to do it again. And then you kind of double down on the, I can be, make you do this. Right. And, but that's just no way to have sustained success. It's not a really way to teach people what to do. And, and I feel like as a coach, that is my biggest growth area is that I've gotten away from that kind of what the coach says goes and you do this to here's what we're going to do. Here's our plan. Buy into it. I'll push you for sure. And I'll let you know if you're not kind of doing what you said you wanted to do. But I I just feel like the whole mindset of what we do is different now. And that's a very good thing. Yeah. That was what was, I think most striking to me. And I think most missed about uh, what Simone Biles did during the Olympics was Mm -hmm. it wasn't even a coach. It was, she noticed it in herself mm-hmm. that she wasn't where she needed to be and she had the discipline and i would i would say the courage and the confidence to be like no this isn't right i'm going to adjust in the following way when 
when there must have been, I mean, just think of the financial pressure, the mm -hmm. cultural pressure, the teammate pressure, the coach pressure, all of that pressure, she was able to somehow have the self-awareness and the sense of self to make a decision that clearly must have violated all every core of like the athlete's commitment to the game as well. Exactly. Uh, uh, it was an amazing thing to just witness and, and see how it took place over the period of those games. And uh, I was very impressed with her and, and just her self-awareness, I guess, is the word, mm -hmm. right? You know, you know yourself, you know what you're capable of. Obviously, we know she's capable of doing amazing things, but just to be able to do that in that em environment was really impressive. And to me, what's actually most impressive is like, if she had just said like, I'm not feeling it, because I think we've all done this. Any person that also has some like leverage in their career knows this. It's why celebrities throw like tantrums and storm mm -hmm. off. You're like, I'm not feeling it. I'm out. Right. right. Um, which is which is often rooted in uh, actually a kind of self-awareness, but you don't have the self-control or the discipline to explain yourself to like she she like she could have just said like she could have just flown home. Right? right. Like, yeah, for sure. And, and and it would have been also a controversy, but there would have been like no consequence. She could have just left. What I found so impressive is that she stayed and she competed. So it wasn't even like an all or nothing thing. I mean, she still won a bronze medal. So yeah. you're like, she was able to have not just like the vague sense of, of awareness that some of us have, where we're like, something's not right. I don't want to force it. Mm -hmm. She was able to dial in specifically to what she could and couldn't do, compartmentalize it enough to do the thing that she could do at such a high level that she was the third best in the entire world, you know, in that brief moment, even despite all the controversy, distraction, attention, and focus. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, the power of now uh, hit you. Are, have there been some other books that have been influential for you yeah. as as a coach? Yeah, all of yours. <laughs> I've read all of them, and that's just uh, not because I'm on here. That's the truth. Uh, I love that. I, 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 the Daily Stoic. You know, I gave it to Michael. Oh wow! He reads it. Yeah, I give it. That's I, that's probably the one I give out as a gift most often. Uh, and I'm well, next on time my, you're giving it away. Yeah. Tell me, and I'll, I'll send I'll I'll send the leather ones for you. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be beautiful. Um, I, I think I'm on my third time through it. Oh wow! Uh, you know, I read it every day, regardless. Like when I went to the Olympics, I took it with me. So wow. every day, the, the first thing I do in the morning is read that day's passage. So it has a, a big impact, uh, you know, impact on me, and I like it because it's small enough that it doesn't take a lot of time to read, yeah. but it can have a big impact. And then sure. I try to have a cup of coffee and just sort of reflect on it uh, before I start my day. So that's the first thing I do every day. What What other books have worked for you? Like what, what um, other books do, yeah. you, do you pass to athletes? Uh, Power of Now is a big one. Sure. Uh, a New Earth, right? You know, same mm -hmm. kind of thing. Uh, to athletes, I try to keep it. You know, I like uh, stillness is the key. I was the one I've given out the most. Oh, wow. Because I, I think it's easily accessible to them. And I think it teaches them a lot about how to be. I think in their worlds today, there's just so much noise, right? Sure. And so much iPhone and constant stimulation. And to be able to get yourself out of that, I think, is one of the most important skills they can learn. I read a, a daily book that you might like called uh, A Calendar of Wisdom. 
by oh, yeah. uh, by Leo Tolstoy. He, uh, you know, of a War and Peace and uh, all his, yeah, his sure. famous books. But he he collected like what he thought were his favorite quotes or ideas. Sometimes they're Bible passages. Sometimes they're passages from the Stoics. It's not a, it, it's it's a little less like put together. It's not like quote story, quote story or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, I lo- I love to flip through that every day. Um, and it's it's part of my morning routine. I think oh, that's might a like cool it. one. And what's the name? It's called a calendar of wisdom. A calendar of wisdom. I will definitely get it. Do you do you see that as part? I think people sometimes think that, and I know obviously we've just disproven it because we've talked about it so much. But I have been amazed at just what a big focus, sort of personal development, reading, philosophy, even has been in athletics not just with coaches, but with athletes and, and actually what a bond it is between athletes and coaches. Like I, I did this book, uh, letters to a young athlete with Chris Bosch. And he was talking about like almost all his favorite books were given to him by a coach at one point or another, because they addressed like a very specific issue or part of his game or personality that he was working on. Yeah. No, I, I, I try to use that more and more now, mm-hmm. particularly with college age athletes. I think it's a great thing. Um, and, you know, I, I was trying to go some, oh, I, I did all the Mickey Singer books. You ever read those? The surrender, no, I never even heard of them. Oh, well, he, uh, the, the Surrender Experiment, The Untethered Soul. Oh, I, I know uh, that one, yeah. You know, that's like, it was Oprah's favorite book of whatever, mm-hmm. some year. But it's more Eckhart Tolle type stuff. It's based on some Buddhist, you know, he is, was Buddhist, but um, it's an amazing story, his personal life. And, and I've actually shared that with some athletes because it just lets you think about your life in a lot of different ways. Um, one of the things that I kind of try to think about with myself when I'm <laughs> trying to be philosophical is that, you know, you want to be in alignment, right? And, and, and I don't want to get too religious or anything else, but like, if you're in alignment with the source, right? Sure. You're, you're, you're making the right decisions. You know, you're, you're doing the stoic, making stoic decisions, right? You want to do the right thing first before everything else. Sure. And a lot of times trying to get to that, I feel like just surrendering and letting it happen and letting it go. That's when your life starts to flow. When you try to resist a lot of things that happen to you in life, they, they persist, right? Whatever sure. you resist, persists. So I'm trying to teach my kids that, you know, the less resistance you put up to things, the easier you solve problems and, and the more flow you have in your life. And I, I think these books teach that. For the last two years, we've been doing this thing that we call the Daily Stoic New Year, New You Challenge. It's 21 actionable challenges, one per day, built around the best Stoic wisdom, but for what? How to be better in the new year. This is the time when we start to think about what we're going to do next, where all the time went, what we wish had gone differently or better, how we're still struggling with this or that, how we'd like to, to stop doing this or that. And that's what the New Year New Challenge is, is all about. It's my favorite thing that we do, and it's three weeks of actionable challenges presented in one email per day built around the best, most timeless wisdom in Stoic philosophy. It should help you snap out of this trance we've all found ourselves in and help make 2022 your best year yet, no matter what's happening in the world around you. Go to dailystoic.com slash challenge to join us. I'd love to have you. I'm challenging you to join me. I can't wait to see you. dailystoic.com slash challenge.
Here's me talking to Dominique Dawes, one of the best there ever was. I read something from Billie Jean King once where she was sort of saying the paradox of being a great athlete, I'd be curious about your experiences, is, is that the precisely the perfectionism, the focus on what could have been better, where you fell short, you know, what went wrong is what makes you great. It's it obviously creates a feedback loop where you are getting better, but it also makes it extraordinarily difficult to enjoy or even notice that you are at the peak of your game or that you've accomplished an incredible amount. Like you're, you're not able to enjoy the peak because all you're focusing on is the next peak or how imperfectly you got there. Exactly. Like what you didn't accomplish. Like it's never enough. I mean, there was just this great piece on um, HBO and it was talking about the um, mental aspect of the sport of gymnastics and um, how many Olympians are just never satisfied. And then when even their career is over, uh, there's that coulda, woulda, shoulda, uh, there's that what's, you know, what's next because their identity is wrapped up in being that particular athlete and nothing more because you sacrifice so much, especially if you did it since your childhood. Um, so it is hard to kind of, you know, uh, I guess be satisfied, but that's what makes, I think a lot of athletes so great that they have that, like you mentioned before, uh, that drive, um, to always want to do more and be better. Yeah. And especially if you came from a place in your childhood where maybe you didn't fully feel enough or you felt like, Hey, you know, it's like when I'm succeeding at this, this is when, you know, I feel my, I feel like my parents are proud of me or I feel like I'm more accepted. We can pick up all these like super complicated issues that kind of get intertwined with winning or success or money or fame. And then it, the, I think the saddest, hardest part is you finally get everything that you think you wanted and it, it didn't do what you hoped. And, and uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's encouraging to me to hear you talk about the family stuff, because that is the one element for me that, that has never, that, that turned out to be even better than I thought. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Like yeah. hit, hitting number one was great, yeah. but anticlimactic, yeah. you know, uh, I've never felt like any experiences with my family were anticlimactic. My wedding was not anticlimactic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, hearing a screaming baby at 2 a.m., not the most joyful, <laughs> you know, yes. you know, experience in life, but it's very fulfilling. And I know I'll miss those days. And I really don't miss being at the Olympics. You know, I don't reminisce. Really? And, nope. And I don't reminisce and miss, oh, that feeling that I got in 1996 standing on the podium, which I was very honored to be a part of that and honored to have such amazing teammates and, um, you know, to win a gold medal and make history. But when I dream about, you know, exciting moments and memories in my life, those don't come up. They really don't. Um, it's the time, you know, with my spouse or, you know, making that commitment to say I do because I never thought I would get married coming from a divorced household and seeing so much heartache and pain there or, you know, birthing two children naturally and then birthing twins, you know, like, wow, that was just you know, a miracle and amazing, but people do it all the time. Like they do it every day, but it was, those are the moments that I really um, relish and they make me smile and they're fulfilling for me. And then the moments today of a young kid walking through my door smiling or um, the stories that I've heard of parents that had their kids in gymnastics 
They had a negative experience. They were in a very unhealthy environment, too much pressure, a lot of negativity. They get into our classes here. They have a blast and they're smiling and they're, they can't wait to come back. That's fulfilling. Um, I'm not saying that the Olympics didn't, doesn't matter to me. It definitely did, but, uh, that's not what, um, you know, that's not what fulfills me and that's not what makes me whole. And it was a little difficult. I will say as a young athlete, winning gold, sitting on top of the podium and being like, Oh, this is it. Like I'm not fulfilled. What just happened here? This is what. And then I, when I reached investing and putting away over a million dollars, I was like, Oh wait, I'm supposed to feel so much better about myself and so great, but I don't. And so it's those moments with your family. It's those moments with your spouse. Um, it's those moments knowing that you've planted an amazing positive seed in the stranger's life, that those are the moments, um, you know, that'll, that fulfill us and that'll last with us for a lifetime. Yeah. I remember when, when my book hit number one for the first time, I was mowing the lawn, Yeah, you know, the text came in and it's like, I still have to finish mowing this lawn. And it, yeah. it was this thing, you know, it was like a five year thing in the making and it had been this, yeah. and, and I, I expected to feel X and I felt sort of the lack of X. Yep. And then, and then when I think about like the best moments of my life, you know, it, it's like sitting on a porch swing with one of my kids and they say something cute or, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's weird how the actual ordinary things are actually what you find to be extraordinary and the extraordinary things, um, as great as they are. And, and as much as they facilitate, you know, you couldn't have gotten the million dollars without winning the, the Olympics and you couldn't open the gym without the, but, but it's, it's how little we actually need to be happy. And, and yet we spend, unfortunately, people spend so much of their time. Like some people feel that, I I guess I'd be curious what you think. So, so they get on the, they get on the, on, on the metal standard, they hit number one and it's anticlimactic. You can kind of go two ways when you experience that number one is you go, Oh, okay. This is actually, isn't it. I got to go find something deeper and more meaningful. And then other people go, Oh, it's not one Super Bowl that I needed. It's yeah, I the need most you. Super Bowls yeah. of all time. <laughs> yeah. Then I'll have it. Yes. And then it'll be never enough. You know, um, you know, I've, I've done motivational speaking, you know, as you have for a while. And, you know, I've done work with presidents and very known and very powerful, you know, people. And, and I remember on stage, people asking me, oh, what's like the most exciting thing you've done? And I was like, well, actually last week, my two dogs, we went on this walk and I saw them, <laughs> you know, and they were like, are you serious? And I'm like, no, like I'm in the moment during those periods of life that you said, or, you know, you say are ordinary, but those are really the extraordinary moments in our life that we need to appreciate. The other day I'm driving home with my daughter after a very long day at the gym and we were both exhausted and we see a double rainbow that she points out and she's screaming and so giddy and so excited, you know, and just kind of like, that's a moment that I'll never forget. And, you know, just recognizing, you know, her, you know, reaction to that and how exciting. And then we started talking about a beach trip we had, goodness, I guess it was a couple of years ago where we saw a double rainbow then. And she remembered, I was like, how does she remember that? It was years ago. Um, but it's those little moments and appreciating those um, that truly are gifts. And they are those, they are the extraordinary moments in our life that we will hold on to. But many of us see them as ordinary. We don't appreciate them. We don't recognize the beauty in them. And so we always think 
we've got to be on top of that podium. We've got to win not just one Super Bowl, like you said, but multiple Super Bowls. And that's what I'm going to be fulfilled. And I truly think everything that will fulfill us in life, it's right in front of us. Just many of us choose not to see it. And I went through life many years not seeing it. And it is my husband that kind of opened my eyes to the fact that it's truly those simple, simple, simple moments in life that are truly gifts for all of us. Yeah, and I, I just love how timeless that idea is too. I mean, you go back to the Stoics, and you know, Marcus Aurelius is the emperor of Rome, and he's he's like, "What is this?" He's like, "So I have like a fancier cloak than other people. Like this doesn't change anything, you know." Or, you know, five hundred years ago, Blaise Pascal said, "All of humanity's problems stem from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone." Mm-hmm. And and you're like, oh, yeah, if I could just be here like with this, whether, yeah, whether it's cleaning up the gym in the morning or, mm-hmm. you know, I I bet I love that experience of getting somewhere early, you're turning the lights on, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you they're, they're flickering up, you know, like when I get into my office in the morning and and just I'm, I'm the first one there, there's no one there, it's quiet, and I get to dig into this thing I love, like to me, that's way more satisfying than, you know, uh, you know, a, a chunk of a royalty check or, you know, a, a profile in a newspaper or something. It, it, it's it's weirdly being able to, to sort of tap into the sort of humanness of it. I think that's the most wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, very true. I mean, I guess, you know, as we are both, you know, very accomplished individuals, I know many people listen and be like, well, of course they feel that way because they've accomplished certain things or whatever, don't have certain um, life struggles or challenges, they think. Um, but I will say the happiest people that I know in life are the people that have very little, um, and that they're, you know, it's about their relationships. It's about the simple things in life and they are living a much less stress filled life, uh, than many of us ever could. Right. Yeah. Blessed are the, blessed are the meek. Um, uh, and, and I, I think too, when I think, uh, although I, I, I'm sort of very privileged and, and like you, I've, I've made uh, some money and I have some nice things, but like the things that I'm most happy about the, or, or, or the, the things that I am enjoy the most were not at all a function of, uh, the the success or the privilege do you know what i mean it's like 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 it's not the car that makes me happy if you told me i had to sell the car and get a different car that isn't what would get me up out of bed in the morning it would be where i'm driving the car and what i get to do you know like it it, it, it's just because someone has something uh like the, the stoics talk a lot about this they're like look it's better to be rich than poor if you had a choice but a wise sort of successful person should be able to be happy with either because the, the external thing isn't actually changing what you're feeling inside. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't fulfill you. We just packed up and moved to come a little closer to the gym. And I realized how many things I have. My husband thinks I'm a hoarder, but I'm like, everything is sentimental. He's like, no, that scarf is not sentimental. You've never right. um, and one thing that I did realize is I said to the movers, I was like, you know what? Let's leave these boxes in the garage and see how much I really need and miss these items. And I really don't miss the stuff. And if someone, you know, if I had to, you know, leave a vehicle or whatever, you know, somewhere and I would never see it again, you know, that vehicle or what have you definitely did not you know, fulfill me. It's definitely the relationships, um, you know, that we have in such, you know, in life, um, not the things. And I think we do think the things will fulfill us or the accomplishments and the accolades will fulfill us or the amount of money 
will fulfill us. And we, when you do achieve that, there is this emptiness like, oh, wait, I didn't get the satisfaction that I thought I would. And, you know, if you recognize that and you learn from it, then you'll, you know, strive to focus on the things that will fulfill you. And that's honestly relationships and impact and, you know, pursuing things you love um, and not going after things. And here's me talking to NASCAR champion, Brad Keselowski. Well, I was going to ask you about reading because that's how we got connected. You're clearly a big reader. Is that another thing you do as far as training the mind or is it more training your sort of, like, what do you, what role does reading play in being the best race car driver in the world? The number one reason why I read is to be a better leader. Okay. Hands down. Now, there is some things that I read that help me in the car. Most of it is for out of the car. Now, that said, I might find some book tomorrow that has all these tricks and tips. But a large part of what my role is as a race car driver is out of the car. And people don't see that. And I can respect that they don't understand it. But I have a team of people that kind of riding a roller coaster of emotions. Let me back up a little bit, Ryan. In motorsports, you are a Hall of Famer if you win one out of every 10 races. Like it's one of the lowest averages in all sports. Everybody talks about baseball. 300, Hall of Famer. Motorsports, like 100 is Hall of Famer. It's super difficult to win a race. It's a lot of competition. You're competing against 40 guys every week. It's only one winner. 10% is amazing, phenomenal. Okay, that means you have way more bad weeks than good weeks. Even if you're a Hall of Famer, nine out of 10 weeks, you did not win. Yeah. And so you have this team around you of people who are, they're going to feed off that energy. And and that energy is always going to be the same of we've got to improve. We've got to improve. What did we learn this week? How are we going to apply the lessons? Right. And it's this really tight uh, feedback loop because it's weekly. We compete 35, 36 weeks a year. So you have 36 weeks a year of PDCA, plan, do, check, act. Plan the next race, do the race, come back and check on it. How did it go? All right, now we got to act on it. These are all the things that went wrong that we have to patch up to be better. Well, basically in that is an acknowledgement that we failed and we didn't meet all of our goals. So mentally, this is really tough on a team, right? You're always failing. Even races you win, you're like, all right, we, we might have done 99.9% of everything right, but we failed here. Sure. We got to fix it. We got to fix it. That might cost us next week, right? So that can be really demoralizing on a team to always have area to improve. And I think the, you asked me where I read, and I'm, gonna, I'm finally circling yeah. this back to it. One of the things I spend a lot of time on is trying to find ways to effectively lead a team to constantly be addressing its weaknesses without falling apart mentally um, and without taking it the wrong way? How do I convey that message? How do I build systems that naturally convey that message in a positive way? Uh, And so I think that's a lot of the studying and reading that really I dig into and look for. What what have been some of the books that have hit you the most? There's one I really love right now, and I don't know if you've read it. It's called Debrief to Win. No, I'm writing this down. So Debrief to Win is um, 
a book wrote by a F-16 uh, fighter pilot. And, you know, aviation, specifically uh, military aviation, defense aviation, is its own animal altogether. Sure. Uh, but what I love about studying the military is they have the ultimate consequence. Right. It's life or mess death. Up and mess up, you die. Yeah. And out of that comes this accountability because nobody wants to die. Yeah. Right. If you want to die, you probably don't make it into the role of an F-16 fighter pilot. Like there's right. enough pre-screening in there. So with respect to that, nobody wants to die. And when they get close to dying and they live through it, they come back and they fix it. High level of accountability, right? And that's not just an F-16 fighter pilot anywhere in the military where you're right. in combat, right? And so they've created all these different systems of, again, like debrief to win really documents of how do we learn from our mistakes, apply them in a format that has, it's very transient, right? Fighter pilots come and they go. Uh, you hope the reason they come and they go is because their time ends, but they're retiring. They're, they're retiring. Yes. But <laughs> not always. Right. Yeah. And there's hard lessons. What do you do when someone passes away in an accident and now you've lost the entire morale of the team, confidence, et cetera. Right. They, they've lived these experiences for you know sure. almost a hundred years and have really iterated the process of how to work through that. And debrief to win is a great illustration of that. Um, the consequences are admittedly slightly higher than motorsports. Sure. But that's good. I want to learn from someone who has a format that's better than me. I, I don't want to play down. I want to play up. Uh, hey, so it's it's probably one of my favorite books of all time. Have you read, uh, and I used it as a source in uh, Ego is the Enemy, but given your interest in military uh, jets and then also leadership, have you read Boyd, uh, the fighter pilot who changed the art of war? No, but I'd love to. That okay, sounds so right up my eye. One of the he's one of the great fighter pilots of all time. Uh, he fights in Korea. He was called Forty Second Boyd because he could basically take anyone down in forty seconds. But he mm -hmm. then becomes a fighter pilot, uh, a fighter instructor at Nellis. But then he goes into the Pentagon where he becomes sort of a bureaucratic fighter. Mm -hmm. So his job: how do you get stuff out of a broken, flawed, you know? Uh, <laughs> complicated slow ass system and he basically he he's the he is the inventor of the f-15 and the f-16 he rams them through wow. bureaucratically so he was this uh uh sort of uh reformer and uh you know sort of whistleblower is fascinating mm -hmm. person but i think one of the great leadership books of all time that you would really really enjoy i'm glad we're recording so i can come <laughs> yeah. back and watch this i'll follow up. it yes do you I'm watch film well, now, now I have to ask you because I can't do it. Can you, do you watch film of your own appearances? Like oh, all the time. Okay, yes. so you even you even evaluate yourself that way. Oh, yes, all the time. Wow, it, it's uh, I think it's critical. Uh, you know, one of the things that makes racing interesting. Somebody brought up to me actually just this morning. In most sports, you have a coach. Sure. There's no coach as a driver. I think I don't know why, but the sport iterated away from it. Maybe it's egos. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there are a few people who have like trainers and yeah, I should say it. most drivers have trainers, uh, most professional drivers have trainers, but very few coaches. And I think one of the issues or reasons behind that is like, if, unless you live it as a driver, kind of like, you don't have a lot of credibility. Yeah. 
And uh, coaching is not really a super glamorous job for those that have raced in the past. So there's, there's usually not a lot of successful motorsports coaches. So you're really reliant uh, most times on your own ability to teach yourself. Interesting. And the best way that I've found to do that is watching film over and over again. I meant, I meant, do you watch like interviews you do to see where you could do, do you watch all kinds of things if you do to critique? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. So media stuff. Yes. Yeah. That too. Wow. Yes. Okay. Oh I yeah. I can't absolutely. do it. It's too uncomfortable. It is. It's super uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. So I'll watch it with my wife and I'll be like, I'll, I'll I consume the majority of my media on my phone Yeah. and I'll like in the middle of it, kind of put my phone to the side and just go into listen only mode to be yeah. less uncomfortable but there's something in the human brain that hates hearing itself. Yes. Would you say someone told me this about an audiobook that because of like how your head works, you hear your voice differently when it's coming out of your own mouth than when it's recorded? Mm-hmm. It has something to do with the base of your voice that your brain recognizes versus what's recorded. I mean, I, I to go to this idea of a coach and a team sport, I think people loosely understand that what you do is a team sport, but you know, like a basketball, basketball is a team sport with four other people who do what you do, which, Mm -hmm. you know, it'd be like, I don't know if a golfer was also responsible for overseeing the manufacturing of their clubs and the design (laughs) of the golf. Like you're, you're basically like the athlete. And then the CEO of this organization of people who do integral parts, their job is integral to you doing your job but it's not at all the same as your job, you know, mechanics and, you know, uh, all that, that must be a a weird kind of leadership where nobody is really on the same page as far as what their, their task Mm -hmm. and the larger task is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, uh, I got to that position, Ryan, because it's how I was successful. I've never considered myself to be the most talented race car driver. I've had moments where I'm like, man, that was awesome. I'm really proud of myself. But I've never sat back and said, oh, I'm the most talented race car driver ever. So through the course of my career, where I started to find success came through being a good race car driver who had great leadership abilities. And that meant being able to iterate, being able to you know, recognize patterns, and then effectively play ahead. Um, now, in a perfect system, I wouldn't have to do that. Uh, in a perfect system, there would be all these people around me that did that, and you know everything clicked and was miraculous, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot easier said than done because recognizing again that the tools that are limited for the team to work with with respect to recognition patterns, onboard telemetry effectively, they don't have a lot of tools to analyze and um, they make a lot of great decisions and you can make a lot of great decisions with good info, but when you don't have the complete information, you're bound to make some bad ones too. Demand more of yourself in 2022. And one of the ways you can do that is by joining us in the Daily Stoic New Year, New You Challenge All you have to do is go to dailystoic.com slash challenge to sign up. Remember, Daily Stoic Life members get this challenge and all our challenges for free. But sign up seriously. Think about what one positive change, one good new habit is worth to you. Think about what could be possible if you handed yourself over to a little bit of a program. 
We all pushed ourselves together. That's what we're gonna do in the challenge. I'm gonna be doing it. I do the challenges, all of them alongside everyone else. I'm looking forward to connecting with everyone in the Discord challenge, and all the other bonuses. Anyways, check it out. New year, new you, the Daily Stoic Challenge. Sign up at dailystoic.com slash challenge. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me DJ and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family Podcast, once upon a beat, yeah. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.